Please be advised that the content in the Grave Tales podcast series is suitable for adults only. You're with Chris Adams and Helen Goltz for the Grave Tales, the series podcast. Today from the Grave Tales Bruce Highway volume, The Stretcher Bearer and the Perfect Bluff. 200 soldiers were on the 11.15 train returning home from the battlefield on 21 September 1917. One of them was hailed a hero. Henry Buchanan, the stretcher bearer, took four bullets and pulled off the perfect bluff that saw him awarded a military medal. What did he do and how did he do it? Ah, Henry. (laughs) What a legend. What a legend. And you know what? There's a lot of people up north, Gympie. Which, which way? Up that way, around Gympie, to Wanton even, not even that far north, Sunshine Coast, who will well remember the Buchanan name. And we know ourselves when we went up there recently, yeah. that there was, you know, stuff at the RSL that you could go and see with Henry's name on it and Henry's family's name because he had a lot of siblings. But I'm getting ahead of myself. You are. So why uh, are we talking about Henry? Okay, so Henry is a very impressive young man. He's a very good-looking young man too, may I say, if you check out his photo in our book. Henry is a 25-year-old mine worker, uh-huh. like his father was before him, in Gympie, yes. a regular guy. And, you know, it's really interesting to remember that because when we send people to war and we see that they're on the front line in Gallipoli, you sort of forget he used to work in a mine. Mm. You know, this is such a foreign, foreign world to him. Well, I mean, it's true of all those young blokes that went to World War One, World War Two, and all the others that we've been involved in in between mm. and since. Mm. Just exactly that. Many of them came from civilian lives and suddenly find themselves facing someone who wants to try and kill them. Yeah. I remember in the movie Saving Private Ryan, which is going back a fair bit, but I think Tom Hanks was the sergeant. And at some point in time, he was sitting there with his men and they were just talking. And one of them said, what are you doing? He said, I'm a teacher. Mm-hmm. And it was just so foreign. You know, it was yeah. just like, oh my God, that was your life. So Henry worked in the mines at yeah. Gympie. For people who weren't aware, that was gold mining country. So a lot of it was, uh, well, much, most of it by the time he would have been working there, I imagine, was underground. Well, yeah. And I mean, Gympie was really prosperous then. So Henry was born in 1889, 11 years before the turn of the century. He was from a big family. He was the youngest of 10 children. <laughs> yeah. you'd, be, <laughs> so. you'd be quick at the table, wouldn't you, if you were the youngest it. of 10. It was a crowded house. Of course, they didn't have a lot, but they worked hard. And his father worked in the mines as well. But his father died in 1890 when Henry was one. So his mother was widowed with 10 children. But of course, there was a fair age range between them. So some of the oldest kids were off working by the time the father had died. His mother, though, Annie, died in 1903 when Henry was 14. So he was literally without parents from the age of 14 on. But he had a lot of older siblings because he was the youngest. Okay. So he followed his father's footsteps into the mines. And they were a huge employer in the town, as you can imagine. Gimby was only declared a town in 1903, so this was a new town. It was, as you said, the pulse was beating fast. It was graziers there. James Nash had discovered gold there. There was this gold rush. The hospital opened two years after Henry's birth in 1891. So it was a happening place. Well, it was the place that a lot of people say saved the state from going bankrupt too in 1867 when James Nash found that gold. It was an important place in the history of Queensland. Mm. So that was Henry's life. That was all about to change, of course, because we know... In August 1914, Britain and Germany went to war. The Great War, it was called then, because it wasn't the Second War, so it was the yeah. first. Well, they call it the war to end all wars. Yeah. We got that wrong. Unfortunately. 
and Australia pledged its support. But, you know, the odd thing was, and a lot of our listeners will know this, the young guys and women were really excited to go to war. It was travel that they'd yeah. never dreamed of. They're going overseas with their mates. They'd get themselves a bit of, you know, the enemy. Oh, get in before it's all over. Yeah. That was, the, you know, it's going to be over by Christmas. Quick, let's go. Yeah, not five years later. Over 400,000 men enlisted, including Henry, and 60,000 of those would eventually be killed and 156,000 would be wounded, gassed, imprisoned by the enemy. So it's a huge number. Yeah. But Henry, would distinguish himself in ways that you can't imagine and we'll tell you what his great bluff was and what he got medal for because it really is amazing okay in the meantime he presumably went to gallipoli was where he started yeah, well, he went as a stretcher bearer. We don't hear a lot about the role of stretcher bearers. And he was non-combatant, but managed to get himself shot four times because you can imagine these stretcher bearers are, are right there in the thick yeah. of it. And you can just imagine that sound around them. It must be the most terrifying thing. Three weeks after war was declared, Henry signed up. And a month later, he sailed on the HMAT Omra. Mm, transport so ship. His brother Malcolm was enlisted as, as his next of kin in the absence of his parents. Right, eh? He sailed for presumably Egypt first and then to uh, Gallipoli after that, as most of them did. Yeah, Gallipoli was where Henry had been serving for almost eight months when he was first shot in the right elbow. He was out of action for a while, returned to his unit on the 1st of June. He didn't waste much time. <laughs> and then for the next four months, he ducked and weaved with his stretcher, bringing the injured back to care. He took another bullet that caused a compound fracture and his own evacuation to hospital in Cairo. So it was now October 1915. He'd been at war for a year and shot twice. It's a fair effort, isn't it? Yeah. So as a stretcher bearer, because he was listed as a non-combatant, he said he had been mixed up in some scraps. <laughs> Beautiful understatement. <laughs> I know. And he had the bullet and bayonet wounds to prove it. So when he was fit to return to duty, he was assigned to the 49th Battalion. Now, it was made up of Gallipoli veterans, so yep. they'd all had a bit of experience. Yep. It was the 9th Battalion which he started in and some fresh reinforcements from home, and most of those boys were from Queensland. Okay. So he was promoted to corporal, and Henry and his fellow soldiers sailed off for France, and they arrived on the 12th of June, 1916. Out of the frying pan into the fire. You said it, because Henry faced the first battle at Poziers with gusto and experience under his belt. 49th moved into the trenches of the Western Front. Could you imagine anything worse? Yeah. They were there from 21st of June, and it was a terrible year. Henry's battalion suffered hugely throughout it. They fought on the front line, they laboured behind the lines, they had a horrendous winter. But as a stretcher bearer, what was interesting is Henry had a front seat to the agony of the newly wounded, and he was very generous in his praise of his fellow soldiers. He once said... In France, I attended a bad case. A South Australian who returned by the same boat was hit by a whiz-bang shell. I was standing close by and immediately went to his aid. There were 46 separate wounds, 42 of which were received from the hips down. I had no morphia, but he didn't even lose consciousness. Oh, can you imagine? Yeah. Good grief. If you go to the Australian War Memorial, there's this excellent painting by Harold Septimus Power in 1922, and it's called The Stretcher Bearers, and it just shows the danger they're under, and it's so alive. Yeah. And there's some amazing photographs in the War Memorial as well of stretcher bearers at work. Uh, and you see the conditions that they're working in. And there they are, two of them, with a stretcher with a bloke on it in the middle, uh, in the mud and the bullets. It's just horrendous stuff, yeah. Seeing many of his comrades in agony and many of them on his stretcher in their final moments, he decided he'd pen a letter to one of the grieving parents, which was really beautiful and really kind of him to do it. The Brisbane Courier picked it up and ran it in 1915. <clears throat> It was to Mrs. Schoons of Church Street in Red Hill, Brisbane. Yep. And her son had died on Henry's stretcher. 
Dear Mrs Schoons, I'm sure you must think we are rather a poor lot for not writing to you before this, giving you a few details of your son George's death. It's only a few weeks since we had permission to do anything of the kind, so I hope you'll forgive us for our neglect. The first thing I'm able to say is that your son died a hero. I was with him at the time he was wounded, also when he passed away. At the time he was wounded, he and myself were on our way across an open patch to attend a wounded man. When about halfway across, we came to a very dangerous spot. A Turkish machine gun started to play over our heads, and I called out, Down, schoons, both of us lying on our stomachs. We remained there about half a minute until the gun ceased. Up we got again, and had just started to run when they opened on us again. They'd been waiting for us. However, we kept going as it was useless to get down again. When almost to safety, I heard a groan and saw George stumble and fall. I lifted him up and carried him to safety. I was between two fires. He said, what are you going to do with me? I said, you'll have to be taken back the way we came. He would not hear me risking my life across the open patch, but I had my duty to do. So after waiting a few minutes until the firing eased off a bit, I picked him up and started back. When the Turks saw me carrying a wounded man, they never attempted to interfere. However, I managed to get George back to the doctor, Captain Butler, who did all that was in his power. But George lapsed into unconsciousness shortly after and passed away quietly. His last words to me were to thank me for all I had done for him. Thank you, old chap. You did your best, but I don't like my chance. He's buried in our little cemetery where we have erected a cross over his grave. I've taken a photo of it and will send you a copy first opportunity. All my comrades wish me to express their deepest sympathy with you. That you may be able to bear up in your hours of grief is the wish of us all. Isn't that so sad? Yeah, amazing letter, isn't it, from yeah. a bloke who was so closely involved with him that he can bring himself to write to his comrade's mother. And George was clearly a fellow stretcher bearer as well. Then. And good on the career for running it. But the other thing that I think is amazing about that letter is that Henry's a minor. Isn't it eloquent? Yeah, basically people were reasonably eloquent in those days. Yeah, so sympathetic and empathetic. Yeah, but he may have started in the mines quite young as well. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. So what was his bluff? Well, I reckon Henry probably learnt to bluff being one of ten kids. He knew what to do and how to get away with stuff. Or he picked it up at school. But let's just say it would be a skill that saved his life. So what happened? During his duty stretcher-bearing at Mouquet Farm, and that's M-O-U-Q-U-E-T for anyone out there who's... <laughs> wants to look it up. ...who's concerned about my pronunciation, and rightly so. He stumbled across the enemy. Now, that's not uncommon because clearly he's been shot four times. That's happened quite a few times to Henry in the thick of the action. But... This is what happened. It's fascinating. This was an account from an interview with him from the Sydney Morning Herald. Okay. In the thick of an attack, he accidentally entered a German dugout. Mm-hmm. So while searching for wounded, he and the guy with him, of course, with their stretcher out there, and they're looking around, suddenly he's come across this dugout. And to his surprise, looking down in the dugout is 18 German soldiers. <laughs> Now, that number varies a little bit. Okay. Uh, there's a different report that says 12. Three of them were officers and they were all well armed. He's in the trench or the dugout with them? No, no, he's up the top. Oh, okay. He's got the stretcher with the other bloke yeah, and right. he's looked down, he's come across the dugout. Yeah, German soldiers are in there. They're 18, you know, three officers and all armed. And here the interviewer pauses and says, well, what happened? And he says, well, I bluffed them. <laughs> <laughs> they were as much surprised as I was. They weren't expecting me. 
So I took the bottle out of my pocket, the water bottle, yeah. which in those days was not like C- today. Cylindrical and probably covered in a felt, a khaki yeah. felt. That's right. So dark and small. Yeah. And held it up as though it were a bomb. And I said, if you don't come out, I'll bring you out, <laughs> he said. And they came out one by one. They surrendered, put down all their weapons, and all 18 came out one by one. And he did that with his water bottle, pretending that. to be a bomb. Yeah. Now... I'd like to ask you, if you were that German person, you were home and they were saying, how'd the war end for you? <laughs> do you reckon you'd be saying, well, there was this guy with this bloody water bottle? Or do you reckon you'd go the heroic angle? Yeah, oh, captured in action. Captured, captured by water bottle. <laughs> yeah. So it's a great story. Well, obviously, one of them could understand English enough yeah. to know, or they could just see it was a bomb. If he'd thrown it in there, that would have been the end of all of them anyway. They've all followed them out. They've taken them back to the... The rear. The rear. rear of the lines. The back, of, back of the lines, yeah. as they call it. And he was awarded a further decoration in the shape of a bar to his military medal. Well done, Henry. And his NCO, in the letter penned recommending a military medal for him, he was described as coming across two officers and 11 other ranked Germans in that letter, yep. whom he took prisoner and marched to the rear. They said, my front line and support line were kept free from wounded and it was entirely due to this NCO in charge of his stretcher bearers that it was so. Good on you. When one considers that during the two days fighting, over 300 casualties evacuated from Y sector, the work done by the stretcher bearers will be fully appreciated. Yeah. Not to mention the fact that who knows what damage those German men Absolutely. could have done. Yeah. There were 18 or 13 less of them. Yeah, thank goodness for that. So anyway, Henry came home after that. He took another bullet. This is when he got his third bullet uh, not long after that incident. He came back home during that time while he recuperated. The locals asked him to consider representing them. So he joined the local political party for a while. But he said to them up front that he agreed to stand for the seat of Baku. Yes. But if the doctor gave him the all clear, he was going back. Wow. The doctor gave him the all clear and he went back and put that political <laughs> career on hold. That was it. It was short-lived. Go on again. Rather yeah. go. <laughs> there may be a message for all of us in that. So he was now 29 years old and one of his big brothers, Thomas, didn't survive the war. He died aged 37. Henry finally did come home and survive the war, I'm yeah. pleased to say. Having been shot four times. Yes. And taking 18 German soldiers captive. So two years later, Henry married. He married Gwen and they moved to Sandgate. Okay. Which was delightful. They had three sons. And they returned to Gympie and then moved on to Cairns. So they moved around a bit. I think he ended up back in Gympie again too, didn't he? Or was, I know he was the president of the RSL at Tawanton for many years. He was indeed. But war again broke out, as you know. And he enlisted again. He was 50 years old then. Wow. Yeah, he enlisted as a warrant officer second class. And he survived that war too, we're pleased to say. And Henry and Gwen moved to Tawanton and Henry took on the role of the president of the RSL up there. So there were people, of course, who remember yeah. Henry. Yeah. He passed away at age 63 in Tawanton in 1953 and Gwen died two years later. You know, you might say Henry had more lives than a cat, yeah, really, didn't he? he did. He's buried in a lovely little cemetery up there, Tawanton Cemetery, which is easy to get to. And it's a lovely, peaceful cemetery and he and Gwen are lying next to each other there. It's near the gazebo. That's probably the best I can tell yeah, you. Yeah, it's not hard to find. Yeah. The Daily Mail in 1917 best summed up this modest Australian hero who went to war as a stretcher bearer and came home as a hero. They said, 200 Queensland returned soldiers arrived in Sydney this morning and left by special train at 11.15am for the north. There were many who had received decorations, but the hero of the train was Sergeant H. Buchanan. Well done, Henry. Well done, Henry. If you have enjoyed today's episode of Grave Tales, we'd really appreciate it if you could take a minute and give us a good rating. You've been listening to a story from Grave Tales, the series, available in paperback, ebook, and select titles on audiobook. Music by Kai Engels. 
Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram or on our website. Check out our YouTube channel as well. We'll put together your own group and come along on our Great Ocean Road Tour.